0: It, it was really interesting to me to see who, after graduation, chose to make a path or pick a path that was just going to make them a lot of money, and then who chose to pick a path that wasn't. And it was really a stark difference. And I feel like that's kind well, yeah. of stay, stay and honestly, I, yeah, none of my friends are like pursuing that capitalist dream. I think just yeah. the politics of this generation, we've seen the inequality; it's become more pronounced. Yeah, um, and it's we it's more It's more embarrassing to take those jobs because of yeah. how kind of like disgusting they are. Ethically.
1: Everyone, I'm Denise Gorin. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining us as we speak with experts, authors, parents, and even young adults to explore the transition from parenting our young children to building healthy relationships with our now adults. Hopefully, we'll grow together, learn about ourselves, our young adults, and, of course, when to bite our tongues. We are so happy you're with us. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. I have to tell you, I think this is going to be our craziest episode ever. In fact, this is the first episode we're recording in the evening. I'm solo, and I'm having a glass of wine. Wish me luck. So what is this we're going to talk about, you may ask? Well, I'm calling this episode, OK, Stupid, and Other Things Our Adult Children May Say About Us. Now, let me tell you how this came to be. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago called OK Stupid. It's hosted by Carolyn Doyle and Emily Cobb. They are both comedians and writers living in Brooklyn, New York. They met their freshman year at Stanford, so they're not dummies, and have collaborated creatively ever since. So I'm listening to this podcast, and I found myself gasping every so often how freely they were talking about their lives, including their sex lives. I was a bit shocked. And then I started thinking about a couple of things. Okay, one. This really is a podcast for young adults, but then do they all talk this way? I listened and I realized even more how out of the loop I am in so many areas, not just about sex, but just about today's young people, their language, their life, and what they're up to. And then I wondered, is this what our parents thought about the sexual revolution in the 60s, 70s, and 80s? Did we not give our parents enough credit for understanding all of that? Now, I realized I couldn't have an episode that just talked about sex. I don't think our bite-the-tongue audience would have it. So I reached out to Carolyn and Emily to see if they'd talk to me about themselves, their thoughts about our generation, and of course, a little bit about sex. Living in New York, their views may be more liberal than most, but it's a start. And I'm going to warn you now, if you're sensitive to talking about sex or other activities that young adults may partake, don't listen. But maybe you'd want to share it with your young adult child. Anyway, before I recorded this episode, I talked to a few friends and listeners and asked them to provide me with some questions. So the questions are not all my own. But I'm guessing that Carolyn and Emily will take me in whatever direction they want. So let's get started. Welcome, Carolyn and Emily. Thank you so much for joining us today and being the spokespeople for your generation. You'll either shock us or console us, but either way, (laughs) it'll be fun. Anyway, in the intro, I mentioned you're both comedians and writers living in New York. Is there anything else you want to share before we get started?
0: No, I think that just about covers it. We've been friends for about eight years now yeah we met freshman year of college um and have been kind of friends and creative partners ever since and i'm so (laughs) so lucky to have her and where are you guys from originally where did each of you grow up we're both from california i'm from san francisco yeah and then i'm from opposite part of california um san diego oh okay very interesting yeah so maybe that's yeah, maybe our, our California attitude, yeah I we're so yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> could be. So let's start. you guys are both actors and comedians and you talk about all things current. So just off the cuff. Tell me what you and I guess you can't speak completely for your generation, but you. I did warn the listeners that you guys are New Yorkers, you're gonna be more, a more liberal perspective, but it's a good start. So what do you think of your parents' generation? Where can we improve and what don't we get completely about you guys? I guess
0: our parents, they're all boomers, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm
1: 65. Your parents have to be 50s, yeah, 60s. Range, yeah, mostly. yeah. Because I've got yeah. kids 33 mm-hmm. and 30, so uh, about the same age. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And we both have slightly older parents, so
0: all in the same age range for sure. Right, right. Oh, man, I, I love boomers. I mean, what's yeah. that to love? I think my parents are especially like... A California hippie variety um, <laughs> but I love that they and my parents especially you know they they really tried to do something different than their parents mm. and I hope you know if we continue that legacy I'll do something completely different and my kids will shock me too I think it's yeah I think it's the natural order of things and they really do my parents at least try their best um, but we do find a lot of blind spots
1: <laughs> what are the blind spots I mean I'm gonna say a bunch of words in a minute but I want you guys to talk first. So what are the blind spots? My kids and I have a pretty good relationship, but they'll even get embarrassed when I start talking to a weight person. And Mm. mom, you don't need to tell her that much. She doesn't need to know. We sort of have a joke. And it's when we were in Florida, I used to ask everyone about the sea lice. So now anytime we're out together, my kids will look at me and say, sea lice, meaning you're talking too much. Are your parents anything like
0: that? Or does that ever bug you? That's that's so innocent. I feel like mine is like, we'll go to a Mexican restaurant. My dad will try to speak in Spanish and he only knows one word and it's cerveza sort of. So (laughs) I feel like when my
1: parents do it, it has a more racist bent. (laughs) I've gotten that too when I say to a white person, so where are you from? Because I'm looking at them and they have such beautiful skin color or something. And my daughter will say, mom, you know, you can't ask that. So what's our struggle there? Well, one, I think you guys just aren't on Twitter as much. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that there are a lot of rules that get made online without a lot of people knowing about them. And so to us, it seems quite obvious, but it has been something that's been hashed out in front of us kind of in live time. So we understand Exactly what the rules are in a lot of contexts. I read something today that said Twitter is like the new um, water cooler conversation. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're on it online every day. The conversation, like if I'm if I'm not on Twitter for a day, I miss so many threads. I miss so many like cultural events, conversations. I feel so out of the loop. Um, and that's a relationship I struggle with too. I don't want to be on my phone all the time.
1: That's what I was going to say. Do you think that's good or bad? <laughs> Ultimately bad. Yeah, <laughs> we definitely
0: think it's bad, but you still are... Uh, you know, missing out on a big cultural moment if you are openly neglecting the things that totally. people are talking I mean, about there. I think also, especially our, our chosen career path, it's a, a kind of a career launchpad, too. It's, yeah, that's true. It's getting that's your true. place, your face online, getting likes and followers, and that leads to jobs. And so as much as I resist it, I do think I would feel, one, out of the loop, mm-hmm. and two, um, you know, it would put me behind.
1: Okay. So I want to talk about Twitter a minute. So I'm on Twitter. I'm not on all the time. And I, I would, I don't like to post cause I know my kids will say, mom, why did you write that? Or whatever it might be. <laughs> mm-hmm. But my problem is, and I'm being really honest, I shouldn't have had this glass of wine before. I'll find things on Twitter and then I'll share it with my kids. And it begs my memory of my mother cutting Ann Landers out of the paper and mailing it to me, you know, <laughs> and I'm thinking, are my kids rolling their eyes when I'm saying, did you read this on Twitter? Or did you see this on TikTok? I mean, yeah. I'm a TikTok fanatic, but I just watch. Oh, you are? Oh, I love that. Yes. It's shocking to me, though. I mean, I'm gasping all the time that yeah, me too. <laughs> all these people make millions of dollars, and they work three hours a week. Yeah, it's. I'm certainly envious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's all true. See, that's the whole thing. My generation doubts a lot. Mm. Your generation in my estimation, oversharing. I mean, there's people on TikTok that every single day they say, hello everyone, this is what I'm wearing today and this is the beverage I had this morning and then I went to my class and then I do this (laughs) and I'm thinking, okay, help me understand what that's about. That's so funny
0: because even we are so steeped in all of this culture too, but we even look down on people younger than us and think, oh my God, (laughs) they're way oversharing. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I think the boundaries just change so much even by the year. Isn't that interesting? But yeah, like even people like three years younger than us, why are you posting your every thought on Instagram? Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody asked for this why am I watching it <laughs> but then kind of as it turns out people do care because people like listening and it makes people you know feel differently yeah. about their own lives and so if there's anybody who likes it you know what's the harm if it makes both of those parties theoretically happy.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. I just want to say, you say it makes people feel differently about their own lives. I would say it makes those people feel horrible about their own lives. Right. So that's the only thing that really concerns me. You know, so. right.
0: definitely just the constant comparison to other yeah, people's lives—it takes you out of your own life. But I think it also helps you. I, I totally agree. But I think it also helps you find people who you wouldn't have otherwise connected with in real life, or things that you wouldn't have shared with people in real life. It, it helps you relate to other people about them online. So.
1: yeah what's good about that well we were
0: talking about this a little bit before and and I'm someone and I I was thinking about this I pretend like I'm a private person I would tell you probably I'm a pretty private person but then I look (laughs) at my body of work and I'm like oh that's actually not true at all um but I guess I do keep certain things for myself and it is a performance even if we are borrowing so much from our lives but so this podcast especially and I think I have a bit of a panic when we started it because I was like, am I comfortable having this much online? I never post. I kind of don't have a social media presence. You said you couldn't even find me. That's by design.
1: <laughs> um, I was a little shocked. I mean, I found when you guys were going to perform in Brooklyn and stuff, but I was like, where yeah. is this woman? But <laughs> but yeah, so it's only on this
0: podcast where I really opened up, and I struggled with that at first. And I think what I came around to, and, and I really believe in this now, is if we're not sharing our experiences how is anyone else going to learn about themselves? How are we going to normalize this? Um, it kind of just came about between conversations with friends, private, that we weren't putting on the internet. And my friend, former podcast producer, Harry, who's our same age, but you know, a guy, so he has different perspectives about sex and dating. And we sort of realized, oh my gosh, we're learning so much from each other. Imagine how much other people can learn. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think one thing about my parents' generation, boomers especially, is they, they let shame around sex and so many other things and repression kind of dictate their relationship. And that really harmed me. I'm openly, you know, I'm gay, I'm queer, I'm non-binary. That'll blow your mind even more when we get into the gender (laughs) stuff. But um... Wait, help me
1: a minute here. I actually (laughs) did a whole episode on LGBTQ+, and it was a wonderful episode. You should listen to it. it. I really, I interviewed the president of PFLAG Denver and then another mother with someone. What's non-binary? Help me with that. What's that? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's the way I understand it. It's a
0: designation where you're rejecting the two binary gender roles. So society dictates, and it's all premised on the idea that gender is different from biological Mm sex. And there's a lot of history and research here um, how gender is actually, and almost every sort of identity marker in our culture was a Western idea Uh um, that was imposed on indigenous and native cultures to advance white supremacy, basically. Um, So it's just this sort of idea that you don't really fully identify with either of the gender roles that have been passed down. And you exist in a more fluid space because, and what I believe is like everyone's a little male and a little female, and Mm -hmm. it's just all in a balance. I agree with that
1: too. Um,
0: So for me, that's just been a way of like figuring out who I am. While and you know, I'm not too big on pronouns; whatever works for me. But I think it's just my way of understanding that I'm rejecting these societal labels because they've never quite felt right.
1: So what's the difference in that? And the woman I interviewed, her daughter was pansexual. That sounds very similar to me. Yeah, so I, I think this is also, and and I empathize because
0: you know it took me a long time to wrap my head around this. When you're steeped in this culture and it's all you've been taught, it's hard to undo. Right. But yeah, so like sexuality and gender are two different things. Okay. Um, they're often linked, but not always. Um, and pansexuality is just more of like a ge- it's a sexuality instead of like a gender identification. So it's like
1: so what you identify with versus yeah. what your sexual orientation might be. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. and I think
0: pan just means like you're, you are attracted to people's personalities regardless of how they look. Right. I think is what that that's means. what I understood
1: yeah. it. It's hard for yeah. our generation. I want to be honest with you. We're all trying so hard. You know, it's confusing and it also changes a lot. As much as pan. we try to stay up on it, I know we're going to say some politically incorrect thing. I'm just praying I don't say it with you guys on the podcast. <laughs> no worries.
0: <laughs> hey, we're, we're... We do that all the time. We don't believe in canceling. <laughs> cancellations. <laughs> yeah no and i like I said like it took me so long to figure this out myself and there was so much self-education that went into it also so and I, I really do get it my parents you know I think they've had some questions um even with like basic stuff about like when I came out to them as gay which at this point seems you know common as right, gay right. but um common as <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah no I get it I get that we're all learning and it's hard when you're it's like my therapist is always like a fish is in water, they don't realize they're... They, and you ask them, what's water? They're like, what do you mean? It's all mm-hmm. I right, know. Right, Yeah, I mean, I think to add on to that, like it, a similar thing with the social media, we have spent so much of the past, you know, century or whatever, absorbing TV and movies and popular media about like, what relationships are supposed to look like. And sorry, that's my dog in a <laughs> Okay, like what relationships should look like and how you should say that you're a woman and exactly the types of femininity that you should be presenting and Mm -hmm. the jobs that you're supposed to have and to be able to connect with other people I think a lot of that happens on has you know in the past happened online and find out that there are a lot of other people who don't really identify with the popular narrative like these Mm -hmm. straight relationships you get married you give up your job you have kids and I think that You know, that's been happening for the past couple of generations where it's like, okay, these kind of stereotypes don't seem actually really confining to me and like not something that I want to engage with. And so... You get to yeah. well, just and then a lot of that question too every single like one of those things and figuring out, and out at our parents'
1: clear. choices and right. seeing
0: in a lot of ways how that hasn't made them happy or satisfied.
1: Well, I just always wonder, you know, you say that, and we said that about our parents' generation. Totally. Right. I think this is just the curse of life. Yeah. Yeah. Our, yeah. Is your generation going to look back and say, okay, we're going to do it different, we're going to now stay home and wear our aprons because we don't really like what happened to our, you know, I, I'm just, yeah. I'm sort of I, w- I mean, uh, gosh, I I hope, I hope my children blow my mind.
0: <laughs> I'm always, yeah. I'm always looking for that. I think it's, I'm always trying to challenge my conceptions. of things.
1: I love what you just said, Emily, right? I want to make sure I'm here. Yeah. You guys have very similar voices. Yeah. Thank you. We, we have gotten that on the podcast. <laughs> <see what> you <laughs> do. I'm struggling with who's who. What you said was really interesting. And here's how I'm going to phrase it. When our children were born, we held them in our arms And within about a second of the baby being born, you have dreams of who they are and their life. Mm -hmm. And when they hand you this little girl or little boy, that's what you imagine. It's not like you say, okay, she's going to be a doctor or he's going to be a whatever, but you imagine there's this dream in your, in your mind or something. Okay. You love them like more than you could ever imagine. And when Mm -hmm. our kids were born, the whole concept or the whole, Uh, gay, lesbian, non-binary, all that was just beginning. Like in high school, in my high school years, quote unquote, nobody was gay. Do you know what I mean? Probably half the class was, but I just mean no one talked about it. So through my growth years from say 30 to 65 it's changed dramatically. And so you guys are in a world where when you have your baby, the choices are endless for that child. You're not going to almost not see them as a boy or a girl. You're going to see them as a person. Yeah. And that's really different from what we had. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, completely. And I think there's been, you know,
0: even gradual, less radical moves in that direction. Like there was a whole thing when we were growing up about like, don't give girls just Barbies. Like, right. give them Legos. And, yeah. Yeah. I think we've always been like wrestling with and and adjusting the lines of gender. It just has kind of looked different.
1: But I I think what I'm trying to say is that's why it's been harder for us. When our daughter decides to do something completely Ah, you know, like let's say your child decides to be transgender or change their gender. As a parent, Mm -hmm. you have to mourn a little bit the daughter or son you're losing and come to accept the son or daughter that you now have. Does that make sense? Totally. And I think also like,
0: you know, we're not parents and, And I think maybe we did this sort of reckoning with our parents throughout our adolescence. And if we even become parents, I mean, that's probably another issue we'll talk about. Um, We will have to reckon with that, too. But I think I was actually thinking about this recently because my parents have certainly, uh, you know, my conception of them has changed. And oftentimes they do not live up to what I want them to be or what I imagined them to be when I was little. So I feel like I, I have mourned that. And I think I did that at an early age, like mourning that my parents are people too, mm-hmm. and I did have them on a pedestal. So I was, I was coming to terms with that by thinking, oh yeah, I did this for my parents, and I'm pretty sure they can do this for me too, even if it's going to be
1: challenging. That's true. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. It's just getting there. All right, let's move on now, and I want to give you throw out some words, and when I say them, just completely in terms of relationships with adult kids and their parents. Okay, uh-huh. boundaries. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. That, I mean, yeah, I think this is, I, I, I guess, should we explain our relationships with our parents? I'm yeah, very, yeah. I'm very close with both of my parents. My parents are still married. Um, is that a marriage I want to emulate? Absolutely not. Wait, um, what did you say? I missed that second part. It's like, is is it a marriage that I want to have or emulate? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love them very much. I have great individual relationships with both of them. I talk to them either text or on the phone almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and Caroline? Yeah, I'm very close with my mom. Um, we talk a couple times a week at least. And I'm, I've been estranged from my dad for five years. So talk about boundaries. I'm an expert. But I, I do think,
1: yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned this because I just scheduled an episode with Carl Pilmer. He's a professor at Cornell and the author of this wildly popular book called Fault Lines. Mm-hmm. And it deals with both estrangement, Um, and how to mend those relationships. I haven't recorded the episode yet, but I'll let you know when it drops. But anyway, tell me about boundaries. What boundaries do parents step over that would make a kid want to be estranged from them?
0: Well, before, I'll just share my little piece with my parents. My mom is so funny. I definitely get that from her. And in many ways, I'm like, if she was born in a different time, she would be the one pursuing a comedy career. Um, but uh-huh. that means that we off like my family, no boundaries, never. We were very codependent. I was raised very codependent. Moving across the country from them has been like crucial in individuating myself um, and getting uh-huh. a little freedom to like figure out who I was outside of the family. Um, uh-huh. But okay, recently my mom and I got into an argument because I feel like she always comes to me for emotional support, typically about uh-huh. the other members of our family. And I know she has friends. It's not like, I feel like maybe dads don't have as many friends, boomer dads. My mom does have friends, but then she does confine me about family matters, which I find kind of stressful because then I'm like, you know, I don't really want to hear you talk about my dad. I can't be neutral. So that that's one of my biggest boundaries is like, how can how can I, you know, tell my mom that I really... Don't want to hear about some of her more personal issues that she should be talking to with her friends. So, how long have your parents been apart? Uh, my per- parents have been apart for uh, since 2013. They got divorced when you were in high school, right? Yeah, and freshman year of college.
1: All right, let's go to the next thing, money. Okay, great. So what are your thoughts? So I just read an article that said the number one issues adult parents have with their kids is money. They're still supporting them. They're still paying their their, uh, cell phone bills. The kids wanna live the life that they had, whatever. Are there any issues that you, and and this is just (laughs) isn't you guys. I want you to look around at your friends and such. Are some people living a life they might not be living because their parents are helping them? Mm -hmm. Is that hard for the people that aren't getting the help? Um, how does money play into the relationship with the kid and the adult parents and the kid?
0: Yeah, we both went to Stanford. I feel like most of our classmates um, come from money and yeah. do have a lot of parental support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely noticed, at least in the couple first couple years after school, that a lot of our friends' parents were paying their rent. I don't know mm. how much. I mean, my mom helped me for three months, and then I started supporting myself. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of working for a lot of my money in college, but just to pay rent and stuff. And I was happy to be financially independent. And I feel like I don't know how many of my friends still rely completely on their parents or now we're getting into our later twenties. So I think most people are, have, you know, jobs that support them more. Yeah. I, Emily, I'm, this is Emily. I have, my sister's 30 and has been living at home the entire pandemic. (laughs) But paying her rent on her But still paying her rent for her apartment (laughs) in LA. But yeah, I, I think, especially with the pandemic, more and more people are living at home. Yeah, uh, of my high school friends, mm, all of them are living at home. Whoa, in our hometown still. And I go wow. home and they're like, "So when are you moving back?" And no. it's like, oh, "Dude, hopefully never." <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I hope not. That's not in my plan.
1: Well, you're only in your late twenties. I bet you, yeah. when you get towards your thirties, and you might be saying, "Well, that was kind of a nice life." Who knows? Yeah. No, I'm envious yeah. because
0: they're not paying rent, so they're saving. They're working, and, and yeah, yeah. I, I think it's yeah. just you know we graduated into. A world that was so screwed, um, right. I think, yeah. and I, a lot of my friends, we talk about this our parents' goals and dreams like, we're just not going to be able to realize we're that first generation that's not going to out earn their parents, and
1: yeah, that's what I was sort of getting
0: at. Yeah, and it's, I think, that was a huge point of pride for my parents. You know, they're both my mom's from Oklahoma, my dad's from, um, you know, Illinois, and they both were like, Yes, we made it, we're moving to California. We're more successful than her parents We're living their dreams. And
1: it's weird to be like, I might not. <laughs> yeah, I might not do right. That. And they sent you to Stanford, which, yeah. you know, is every parent's dream, you know, so they go, oh, my daughter totally. went to Stanford. And now I sent her to Stanford for four years, I paid a half a million dollars, and she wants to be a comedian. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, God, my parents are too supportive. They can do well <laughs> to be a little more stern. But I think the potential, <laughs> the potential is there.
1: Yeah, it's an investment. No, no, I know. I'm joking when I say that, but there's a lot of parents that might say, What the heck? Oh, really? definitely. And many
0: of our classmates, you know, are not living. Rich there. independently now. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Right, yeah. A right. lot of people we know have, you know, it it was really interesting to me to see who after graduation chose to make a path or pick a path that was just gonna make them a lot of money, and then who chose to pick a path that wasn't. And it was really a stark difference and I feel like that's kind well, of yeah, and honestly, with. I, yeah, none of my friends are like pursuing that capitalist dream. I think just yeah. the politics of this generation—we've seen the inequality—it's become more pronounced. Yeah, um, and it's more, and more
1: embarrassing to take those jobs because of yeah. how kind of like disgusting they are. ethically. that's really interesting. So, money plays a whole different view yeah. in your generation than and, really it did in our we generation. We definitely are in
0: like sort of an artsy enclave, but definitely like none of my friends work in a consulting firm. If people, if someone I knew was like working consulting or in law school, I don't know if we'd have much in common. Right. <laughs> we just would we have we're just working well, I don't know about law school, but I think just these big like tech or finance jobs no, I know that way. we take. It's like we just yeah. well and also <laughs> like, different. we know enough about those people. They're not happy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. What is happy? Mm um I feel like every day I, <laughs> I wish I would my knew. friends and be creatively challenged but this is something my dad there. loves about me living in Brooklyn my dad's like it is amazing you live within walking distance of your like 10 best friends from college you've found a way to like yeah. live the dream and you know we have lots mm-hmm. of private struggles that he doesn't know about but from like my <laughs> parents perspective it's like you're like extending your adolescence that's awesome <laughs> really I feel like I'm a grown-up here I do too but it's like it's weird that we live like i can walk to your house whenever i want it yeah, feels absolutely. like senior year of college sort of yeah but only the good parts. the good parts
1: um <laughs> i was gonna say don't you feel more responsible oh, than absolutely, 100%. yeah i, mean, really I, do, I mean i lived in new york for several years after i graduated my husband and you know married my husband there and blah 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 mm-hmm. eventually we moved to denver but and it, i still remember those years as fabulous yeah. fabulous years but i was working really
0: hard mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely is what it feels like now, I think. We're really grinding. Yeah, well and it's like there. you have two jobs when you do when you pursue something creative on the side. So yeah. Right. Your job your for money, your job for creativeness. And then Yeah, Caroline, I mean, is works so hard. Well, thanks. But like always.
1: <laughs> what do you like the best, Caroline,
0: of what you do? Um, I wish I knew. I wish <laughs> I knew. I really like fabrication and design and I also really like comedy, so I'm trying to pursue both simultaneously. And I'm very happy doing it for the most part. But Yeah, we overworked. actually just, and we'll link you when it comes out, but we just made a web series about using Caroline's like furniture building, you know, ability. And we made like a comedy show about
1: like a... Okay, so send that to yeah, me because I'll it's share It's like a HGTV parody. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm going to
0: watch We'll send it to you. My
1: generation loves Oh my God, HGTV. we do too. <laughs> so it's ours. So it oh, yes, ours. Every also, we have Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's jump to the next one. Advice. Mm -hmm. Too much advice, not enough advice. Do you listen to the advice? Would you prefer not to get the advice? from parents? Mm -hmm. Oh my
0: gosh. Uh, My mom (laughs) has never given me wrong advice and I've chosen not to listen to it so many times and regretted it every single time. She's always right. Thank God I have her. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I would be making the wrong decision all the time.
1: Okay. Who's talking Caroline, right now? Carolyn? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah. okay. Good for your mom. I sh- I'd like to be yeah, your mom. She's, just <laughs> yeah, she's always right.
0: This is Emily now. My parents don't really give unsolicited advice. And I mm-hmm. think that's why I'm more receptive to it. <laughs> like I, I'll go to them. Like one yeah. thing my mom, like my mom is my best romantic, mm-hmm. like comforter. I'll go to her with like a heartbreak and she'll immediately be like, you know. Like, oh, honey, it's a part. Like, it makes me feel connected to someone who's done it before. Like, she knows. She's survived. um, And I do really take comfort in that. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: Well, that's pretty good. Because that's one of the things I find most kids Mm -hmm. say they're getting it too often or, you know, whatever. So it's really great. I think
0: our parents are just pretty laid back too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, our parents have no control issues at all. They're both very supportive of whatever we choose. But my dad, my dad's mom was very hard on him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, he carried that with him his whole life. I think that's why he's so laid back with us because he had a real chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Now that she's gone on, he is quoting her all the time.
1: So... (laughs) Isn't that interesting? So something stuck, yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way about my mother. I was always like, you know, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I look back now, I think everything she said was yeah. right. And I didn't always listen. I really wish I wasn't yeah, listening.
0: It's, I mean, it, there are some lessons you really have to learn for yourself. So, you know, you you're, you it's your right not to follow the advice and figure it out too, I think.
1: I, I guess, I guess. <laughs> All right. So I was listening to one of your podcasts. And I want to tell you, I stopped a couple of times and just asked, <laughs> I can't wait to and hear. I said how can you guys talk so freely about your sex lives, masturbation, these really intimate parts of your life so freely? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, I will just
0: set the stage here by saying that it's not like I was totally comfortable the whole time. Like I still wince at the word masturbation. It's not a hundred percent easy for me. (laughs) <laughs> but I like was so excited. I, th- I think it kind of came naturally to us because we had originally had a dating podcast. And when COVID hit, right. we needed something to talk about that didn't involve having dates over Zoom because that just wasn't really doing it. And mm-hmm. so we started talking about sex instead because we were all having really interesting experiences with it at the time. And we all wanted to learn more. And so we started reading books and talking to a lot of people and talking to experts on different things and learned a lot that I wish that I had known when we were younger about yeah. sex and biology like and not talking about it. I think created this culture where everyone was feeling the same thing, but no one's saying it. So you don't think you're normal. Right. Um, and also our generation <laughs> um, is all on antidepressants because yeah. of social media. Oh and, you know, so we were all having like similar sexual issues, like mm-hmm. dysfunctions because of this medication. And so Mm-mm. I think it was like, Oh I'm not weird. Like this is now like a normal part of human functioning, I guess. Yeah. And I, yeah, it was,
1: you know, I guess I can understand talking to good friends about it, but as I was listening to this and I think someone mentioned they were autosexual and that was the first time I ever heard that (laughs) expression. And I said, what the heck is autosexual? And I've asked several people and everyone looks at me dumbfounded. That doesn't exist to (laughs) me. So why don't you say what it is? And then the other thing I want you to talk about Oh gosh, why can't I remember this? The the 1800s, what they called, you know, you guys say the F word every other <laughs> sentence in your podcast. And uh, I never heard the F word <laughs> till I moved to New York City from my little town of Ohio. But you were coming up with different, different phrases for the, and there was one from the 1800s, like, um, I want to say perpendicular relaxation or what was it? Horizontal refreshment. Was it that one? Horizontal refreshment. I think perpendicular relaxation. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty much.
0: (laughs) That's, that's vulgar in 1800s. Yeah, they're all so goofy. Um, What was the first question? The autosexual. Oh, the autosexual. What's
1: autosexual? How can you talk about this also?
0: I do think that autosexual, so we had our friend who's kind of kooky and I think that was kind of said in jest, but I guess it's the idea that you are, turned on by your own body um and i think you know I, I understand this now is like sexuality has become so fluid that you know if you're maybe there's it's like queer to an extent to like admire yourself but as far as anyone i know who actively practices that i don't think that's much, much of a thing i could, <laughs> think that could be more of a descriptor of a way that you're feeling more than a. but there is identity. A, and like I, I don't identify this and i don't think you do either but there is a, a phenomenon called asexual we're like aromantic, yeah. and I, that is a smaller community, and I, I can't really speak for it, but it's like the idea that you don't have sexual urges.
1: Right, I, I've heard yeah, that. Yeah. Asexual, I've heard that even was in my generation, yeah, believe right. it or not. I never heard just completely oh, no. in love with yourself. Yeah. I mean it all, almost sounded a little narcissistic. Okay. Really, yeah, absolutely. The only
0: you. other person who I've heard say that was Miley Cyrus on the
1: podcast. <laughs> and Okay, I know I never <laughs> heard that. Okay. I'm lucky I know who Miley Cyrus is. So thank you for mentioning someone whose name right now. Um, yeah. Well, i I will say that
0: I think that having the podcast was really a platform like bringing up sex I think is often the hardest part you know and once you're talking mm-hmm. about it it's it's so great it's a great way to bond with whoever you're talking to there's so much to learn about them and their experience that they have felt so private about and it feels so good to share something that's so vulnerable and be like totally accepted by the person you're talking to and even learn things about them too and i think that having an official platform for it with the podcast was a great way to start those conversations and then end up going to places or or conversation topics that i'd never anticipated we would get to so i think it also gave us some sort of zeal like it felt like a real mm -hmm. mission statement after a while because people were listening and they were responding really well yeah and they were like oh my gosh i've never heard someone talk about this i'm learning so much like you're changing my sex life for the better and so then i think we began to feel like oh we're doing a real service to the community even if it means." pushing through discomfort.
1: Right. No, that makes perfect yeah. sense. And sometimes I do think when people are in their car on their walk, listening to a podcast, they really think it is just you and them. Yeah, definitely. definitely. It has like an intimacy. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, I listen to a lot and I think, okay, they're really just talking to totally. me. Totally. And, um, you know, it's audio. So it's
0: like, they can't see our blushing face yeah. or anything like that. Right.
1: But also I think part of it too is like,
0: um, I really believe in like reclaiming shame. Like mm-hmm. what, what, what do you find shameful? And like, why do you feel that way? And how can you take ownership over it and make that like something that's powerful to you. Yeah. There's just um, no reason to live with feelings like yeah, that. And insecurity. I think that was born of like being, had been like extremely internalized homophobic and mm-hmm. internalized transphobic and then realizing like, oh shit, the stuff that I'm uncomfortable about is exactly what I need
1: to investigate mm-hmm. further. Totally. So that's interesting. So I did reach out to a few people. I think I told you guys this and I asked them for some questions. And one woman went into this whole uh, concept of sex driven by evolutionary biology mm-hmm. and the cavemen were driven to have sex and blah, 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 blah. And she understood that, you know, when we were growing up, there was shame in one night stands. There was shame for women to have sex just to enjoy sex, at least most people. okay. I don't want to say across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like and we think it's great that women should be able to have sex just to enjoy it. But is it working? Is casuals, is this working for women? Because they do say that there's more emotion involved with women. So, with this whole hookup generation and all that sort of thing, do you think it's working for both sexes?
0: Yeah. You know, I think that so much of being a straight woman now is what you've been brought up to believe about relationships. You know, if you just look at rom coms, like I can't think of really anywhere else in my life besides maybe some conversations with you know, my, my mom or friends of my mom, where I learned anything about what relationships were supposed to look like, or how interactions were supposed to be. And so I've in so much of my understanding about relationships through the media. And I had this expectation that you meet someone and they have to, you know, be obsessed with you, they have to think you're hot and beautiful and all this stuff. Otherwise, you're like, you know, what's the point of being a woman if you can't fulfill the fundamental task, which is to, you know, make sweep a man off of his feet. And so... Mm-hmm. I feel like when I was in school, Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where it's like, so much of your job as a woman is to be somebody who people fall in love with, and so and yeah. I mean, I've I identify as gay now, but I've had sex with men, and yeah, a lot of that is like the performance of making sure the man enjoys it, which I think totally. is it cuts across gay, straight, all types of yeah. But um, and so when I got to college, I was having having sex for the first time. And so I was really having fun sleeping around. And I, you know, had sex with maybe one or two people within, I don't know, a quarter at school, so Mm -hmm. 10 weeks or whatever. And I was talking to an older mentor about it, our mutual friend Tara McCullough. And I was like, do you think it's bad that I had two one night stands this quarter? And she said, I used to have a rule for myself where I was only allowed to have one one night stand per quarter, or Mm -hmm. else I would think I was a slut. And then I realized no guy would ever have that rule for himself, nor would anyone ever have that rule for a guy. And so I threw away my rule and Mm -hmm. I just get to have sex with whoever I want. And I was, that was honestly a huge like transformation for me and how I thought about sex because it's like, yeah, when you put it in such simple terms, of course you would never hold a man to that standard. And so I think it's a combination of managing the expectations you're supposed to have and not necessarily the ones you do have, and also removing that you know, gendered shame from it. It, it. Casual sex is awesome.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is casual sex awesome for a woman? When usually they say a woman needs more emotion to really make the sex good.
0: I had an awesome time having casual sex. Yeah, and I, and I, <laughs> I do also think there, That's what I think. It's a different mindset. Yeah. I think it's a different mindset. And there's mindset. also, you know, men, boys who who want more emotionally fulfilling. Uh-huh. I think. Yeah, hookup culture, and there's a lot of fuss about it. And I do have friends who want relationships and can't seem to find them. And I also have friends that are, you know, jump from relationship to relationship. So, yeah, I don't know if there's one answer here, but I think it's just about people. Yeah. Expectations, who you're going after. If you want a relationship, maybe don't go for the frat boy who's never had a relationship in his life. Um, Yeah. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's just another example of picking the, the... form within the media or within the genre that is best for you. It doesn't have to be but, yeah. relationship or no relationship. It can be any, anywhere on the spectrum, but both you and me, we are, we are pretty much long-term relationship folk. Yeah. <laughs> in recent years, definitely.
1: Interesting. Let's go to living together. Okay. You know, again, my generation was on the beginning of living together. I don't know if your parents lived together. Many, many of my friends mm-hmm. lived together. I did not. Cause I thought my parents would drop dead. <laughs> um, I sort of feel like it's happening even if you don't know the person very well, people move in together for financial reasons. Yes. And I see a lot of people, well, let's see if we move in together, then our rent's $2,000 a month. It's only a thousand a piece. We can get a one bedroom. Yeah. And the relationship doesn't play as much into living together. Do you think that's true or not?
0: I think definitely that's just the economic reality is like, if you have to have a roommate, might as well be you know someone you feel completely comfortable with. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely better than having a stranger from Craigslist. And yeah. you're gonna have to have someone most yeah. of the time.
1: See, I always felt if you live together and you care about someone and then you move out, it's almost like a divorce. Do you want to put yourself through that? I mean,
0: I, I definitely think it's a step in a relationship. I, I don't know totally. anyone who's treating it that casually. The, the pandemic really has that for us. I was seeing someone at the time and we were in no means ready to be living together, but <laughs> everything was so uncertain. We just sort of wound up in this situation where we were living together for months and months and months, and we have since broken up, but. Yeah, we
1: also have friends who, you know, did the pandemic move in, realized, oh, this doesn't work for our relationship yeah. and moved out but mm-hmm. continued to date. Yeah, Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it is all about the mindset and I really respect so much of your mindset because I think what you're able to get rid of is the shame and the angst and the sort of what other people will think. Yeah.
0: God, I mean, it's a, it's a work in progress for us, but hopefully, yeah, it's shame doesn't feel good. (laughs) I mean, I really just don't think that anybody does care what we do. Like I do think that all of our friends (laughs) and our generation is pretty open-minded. So it's pretty easy to make these decisions because everyone is really supportive
1: for the most, I mean, who I'm friends And you're not living in your hometown. So no one really knows. We also
0: live in, we live in New York City where yeah, I think it's a different reality.
1: That was my favorite part about New York City, the anonymity. You can be whoever yeah, you want to be definitely. at any moment of the day, anywhere. Yeah,
0: that is super true. Sometimes I'll tell white lies to strangers.
1: Yeah, exactly. I used to sit on the bus and have conversations with people that I would never have, <laughs> sort of. you know. I knew beautiful. I'd never see them again. They knew everything about yeah. me.
0: Um, anyway, let's, (laughs) that's what the podcast feels like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's true. You were talking about media and I still remember when my daughter was about 13, she's a little older than you. So she's 33 and, um, she would be watching friends all the time and it, and this was, okay, this is my Ohio. i live in Denver, lived in New York, but I was brought up by my Ohio mother. And I used to watch Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox, whatever their names were in the yeah. thing, Rachel and Monica, I guess, um, you know, they would go out, they would sleep with someone the next day, they would come home, you know, everything was fine, blah, blah, blah. And I used to say, Katie, I know you're watching this, but no one has apartments like this in New York. And when you, <laughs> and when you sleep with people, make good choices, because you don't feel as good as Courtney Cox does yeah. when you come home. <laughs> But maybe that's not true. You know, maybe the times have changed and it's okay. Look, I think that you can definitely feel
0: hurt by a one night stand. I mean, the stakes are definitely not zero. Like you still need to have safe sex and know what you're getting into and not set your expectations to an an unrealistic place. Like Um, I've definitely been burned. It's not all been great, but I think it can be really fun. Not to bring this buzzword back into it, but I think it is about knowing your personal boundaries. If you're in a place where you can handle Mm -hmm something that's more emotionally flimsy go for it I think I've also you know not known what was good for me and gotten hurt (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. a learning experience both are valuable
1: (laughs) right right well that's why you're all on antidepressants and in therapy all right, let's let's talk about relationships in marriage. Mm-hmm. This is just my observations. I'm nobody. Okay, I'm just an observant person. I think there's a whole group of very traditional kids getting married 28, 30, mm-hmm. 35 having kids buying their house, very traditional. Then there's the other half that either just live together for a long time, don't get married, don't want to have kids or want something completely different than their parents' generation. Mm-hmm. How do you see things moving in this generation? What's your generation feeling about the whole traditional marriage thing?
0: Yeah, we have classmates, high school and college, who are married and have kids by now. Yeah. Caroline and her boyfriend have a dog. <laughs> yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm still pretty sold on marriage. Everybody has a dog. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. I mean, Um, I think that it's again, like I I am so supportive of the friends I know who are really set on getting married and having kids. And like, I think that it definitely will come later for our generation because of the financial instability. But I also think that there will be more people. I don't think the majority of people, but I think there'll be more people who choose not to get married and have kids. Yeah, um, I guess I can speak to this. I recently um, was in a non-monogamous relationship and ultimately it didn't amount to much. We were quite monogamous, but (laughs) what I really liked about it was there was, there was a freedom. Like we acknowledged the reality that we were young and we were attracted to lots of people and that we probably weren't going to get married. And so it just gave this freedom in our relationship where we could talk openly about these things that otherwise could like be very taboo. So it was like normalized to have crushes. We could be like, Oh, I think that person's kind of cute. And instead of getting really possessive and jealous, It just gave us, it made us both feel very empowered Mm -hmm. and we never felt like we were keeping anything from each other. And that was something that in prior relationships, I felt very um, like stifled by. So even though we ultimately didn't really even act on it, but it was just this idea that like, oh yeah, our parents are all in pretty unhappy sexless marriages and we can like acknowledge that there's a different reality. And again, it's just like about communicating your expectations. It wasn't all, you know, there was definitely times you'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling jealous. Can we like talk about this?
1: Yeah. And is this something you told your mother about, your parents about, that you were in a non-monogamous relationship? my mom loves it. My mom is like, that's the way to
0: go. Like my mom, like I think, you know, if she could do it again, maybe she would do something like that. Interesting. But interesting. But yeah, I mean, and I don't even know if my next relationship, I'll want that, it could very well change. But I think marriage as I've seen it play out doesn't seem very fun and a partnership is appealing to me Mm -hmm. but I also think you could have like I like Caroline is a life partner of mine in many ways you know like I think we're getting it from more people and I think it's a good thing yeah there's there's a lot more opportunity for emotional intimacy I think in far more relationships because you have the language and and ability to get really close to people in a way and it's like we're not having kids so our friendships are our most, like, meaningful relationships. Right, right, right. But, uh, yeah, I do think I want to have kids still. I mean, I love children. <laughs> but we can be fertile for, like, another... Yeah. And then, you know, 12 yeah, years. I'm probably going to end up with a woman. It's like, well, we'll have to adopt or something. Right, right. anyway. So I don't feel as much of a time clock, but...
1: But yeah, my big thing is every the, the the government should freeze every woman's eggs at twenty one so they can have kids whenever they want. Yeah, it's so unfair like that. that there's a clock.
0: Yeah, and it's so expensive too. I have a friend who's yeah who's in her forties and going through that now and painful. And that's a really interesting idea. To I wonder. Yeah. yeah everyone could have longer careers.
1: Everyone should have their eggs frozen 21. That's when 18 to 21, Mm -hmm. whatever. And then you can decide whenever you want. Because we're not even getting any career traction
0: until our 30s. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, Okay, let's go to the workplace. So when I grew up, I was trained. My dad was an entrepreneur. You know, he grew up with nothing, built a company. Um, His thing was work, 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 beat your boss to the office, be the last to leave. And I sense this generation values work-life balance so much more. Yeah, I certainly
0: do (laughs) yeah Um, I mean I think it's impossible to come out of COVID without valuing your personal time a little bit more I'd never have that had that much of it in my life and I feel like I felt like a new person yeah pandemic and um I think especially as I'm pursuing these creative careers my day job was not challenging stimulating um it was not Like, I didn't feel like I owed them anything more (laughs) than showing up. And, you know, it was like, those were the hours that I was staying alive. And then the other hours I'm doing what I actually want to do. And so that time obviously was going to be more valuable to me. Um, But yeah, I think this kind of goes back to this more, this turn away from capitalism. It's like, why should I put my body on the line for Mm -hmm. someone who is not caring about my personal life, who's not giving me benefits, who's not who's giving me a fraction of what they're making and I'm doing all the hard work. Right. It's very cynical not to be, or difficult not to be cynical of the mainstream labor force when you're so clearly just being like abused for your time. But I, I mean, you know, I miss the community of an office. That's sort of like the only community that we have in modern culture is like your work.
1: Well, wait a minute. How about your 10 friends that live a block from you in Brooklyn? Yeah, Yeah. Well,
0: I feel I have plenty and I have the comedy community and otherwise you look around and so many people are lonely. Yeah. And then they, they, they need, need to their work happy
1: hours. So I want to ask you one more thing when you talk about the non materialistic and all that sort of thing. Are you ever afraid you're not going to make rent? <laughs> or also the thing that, you know, as I'm moving towards retirement, healthcare, you know, all that kind of stuff plays into what kind of job you can get. How do you guys deal with all that?
0: Oh, man. Yeah. I, I was just unemployed for a couple months um, and I started a new job on Monday. Oh, um,
1: and yeah, and then my online
0: shopping addiction. I mean, I think it's just <laughs> in general, there's like a sense of the the now and the present is way more prioritized because we don't even know what the world's going to look like in even 10 years. Like, is everything going to be on fire? Is it going to be flooded? Climate change has made the future so, you know, it's all uncertain. So yeah, I definitely. do think in, in so many ways, our generation is turning to the now for better or for worse. Yeah. Um,
1: all right. You guys have been terrific. I always end my episodes with our guests giving two or three pieces of advice. Mm. So remember Mm. our listeners are parents of adult children. How can we be, I hate to use this word, more woke, (laughs) more, you know, you guys seem to have great relationships with your parents. They don't give advice unless solicited. Um, It doesn't seem like they're anxious at all about the choice of lifestyle and profession you've chosen, but give us two or three pieces of advice for our listeners. One thing I would really love if my mom wasn't
0: so defensive immediately because really when
1: I'm
0: trying to educate her, talk to her about things, it's an act of love. Mm -hmm. If I didn't love her, I wouldn't be taking the time to explain my point of view. Um, So I would love, like parents, keep an open mind. Things are different and wild and weird, but just because you've always done things one way doesn't mean that was a good way or the best way or that it made the most people happy. So I think, yeah, truly be open and be ready to learn. We're here to learn. So I say don't don't be afraid of growth. (laughs) That's a great one.
1: Don't be afraid of growth. I love it. Thank you so much. Carolyn? I'm struggling. I feel like um Don't talk Spanish to Yeah, well, that's a good one. I feel
0: like um (laughs) I feel like you should know you should know that what you say to your kid means a lot to them and that they will internalize it. Mm -hmm. And so be really careful what you say because that is gonna be the voice in their head for the next you know, over many years. So yeah, we, we still just want our parents love even
1: when we're old. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Um, guys, I'm I have tears <laughs> coming to my eyes. I need another glass of wine. Listen, I, I, I can't thank you enough, both of you for joining me. I know I sort of reached out of the blue and you thought, who's this 65 year old woman that wants to talk to us? No, this, this was so fun. Yeah. Just a blast. But, um, You know, in many respects, just like what you're doing, talking about sex and talking about dating, I'm talking about a topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about. When adult children are struggling, the parents don't want to admit it. They want to tell you when their kid went to Stanford Mm -hmm. and is now an investment Mm -hmm. banker at Goldman Sachs. But when the kid has mental health disease and is living at home and really struggling, no one's talking yeah, about it. Totally. And there's all these kinds of situations in the world and we all need to talk about it. So I credit you for what you're doing, even though everyone told me not to talk to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we had a blast. Hey, yeah. we'll come back on anytime you want us. If you're ever in New York, okay, you'll get great pee tickets to our show. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I'm gonna be here in March. Oh. You know, when I lived in New York, no one lived in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's another big change. You know, it's just man, No one even lived in Tribeca. Yeah. I was on the West side, uh, in the sixties. And that was really like, my parents were like, you can't live on the West side. It's dangerous.
0: (laughs) Oh, my mom still has that mentality. You
1: know, and now it's like the high rent. Yeah, exactly. And now Brooklyn's getting more expensive than Manhattan. So, okay.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much
1: for listening to us and, and being willing, willing to, uh,
0: have your mind expanded. Yeah, this was such a You've good expanded ours too.
1: <laughs> well, good, good. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks, Emily. And I don't know which one's which, but anyway. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a good one. Okay. Keep in touch. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was really fun for me. Thanks so much to Carolyn and Emily for sharing their life in New York and also giving us a little bit of inside scoop on some of the views of young adults. They mentioned their web series. It's an HGTV takeoff called Walker Upper. And I'll have the link to that in our episode notes. Also, if you'd like to see the girls perform, they have a regular live show at Union Hall in Brooklyn. And if you want to gasp a few times like I did, listen to their podcast. It's called OK Stupid. I have to say, I was surprised how demure the girls were after listening to their podcast. Let me know what you think. Again, everyone, thank you for listening. We've got so much more planned. Make sure to share this episode if you liked it, and remember to follow us on all our social media platforms. A special thank you to all our listeners who sent in questions for this episode, and of course, to Connie Gorant Fisher, who's handling all of our audio engineering. But remember, listeners, until next time, sometimes you might just have to bite your tongue.